figure, what does it remind you of? When you see that figure, where do you think that figure is taken from? Yes? Okay, it is spiritual warfare, yes, but there's a particular context in which I've taken that figure from. Yes, anyone? Who does that person resemble you? Hmm? And who does that figure resemble you at the, that ugly looking figure? Have you, sorry? No. Any famous book that you can remember? Which a famous missionary has written? Yes? Exactly. So this is actually a scene from the Pilgrim's Progress. All of us have seen that. Uh, it's, made, it's been made in, into a movie also, no? The Pilgrim's Progress. So those of us who are familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, what scene is this? Who is that red figure? Yeah? Sorry? No, in that book it doesn't come as Satan. <laughs> of course he's the replica of Satan, but in the book there's a particular name mentioned. Okay, I'm just testing, I mean, your, this thing of Pilgrim's Progress, okay? Oh, the Pilgrim's Progress was written by John Bunyan, yes. When did he write this? when he was in a jail. No, he was actually being, being put in the jail because he was doing things for the kingdom of God. Anyway, but this scene particularly, anybody knows? Okay, you can take some more tries, two more tries before I tell you. Yes, his name is Apollyon, right? And in Revelation, I think one of the names that is attributed to the enemy of our soul is Apol, Apol, Apollos. No? Uh, the pilgrim is actually fighting Apollyon in the valley as he goes to the valley, you know, after, after his victory in the cross. He has this victory in the cross, then he goes to a particular you know, person's house. And in the house, there are lots of daughters that that person has whose names are, you know, different names like wisdom, etc., then this person gives him the armor of God, right? And after he wears the armor of God, he's put into a battle. And in the battle, he has to fight Apollyon. And finally, he uses the sword to pierce Apollyon, and Apollyon actually flees away from him for a time. So um, our focus for today will be Ephesians chapter 6, verses from 10 to 18. Ephesians chapter 6, verses from 10 to 18. I'll just read it out for you. It says, I've taken this from New King James Version. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. If you see the next figure, you know, which I put, again, it's from Pilgrim's Progress. I really love that book. Why? Because... I feel it represents each one of us as believers in Christ. And that is our journey. 
if you if you have not not read that book before i would suggest it's a very beautiful book to go back and read and it's something i think which is very very applicable even to children you know they'll be able to you know it's written in such a way it's it's a beautiful Im- imagination that he has put but it is a it's it's a imagination which is a replica of the reality i can put it that way most of the imaginations which are made in books are not reality but this book is an imag- imaginary form of what is actually the reality of christian life uh, it's a symbolic form i can say you know of what is the reality of christian life so please go back and read that book very very beautiful you can see that movie also so this um, shows christian being you know loaded with the armor of god he's got a helmet he's got a breastplate he's got a belt and he's got a shield and then he's got a sword and then he's got sh- shoes so the points to note in these verses that we have read first is our strength comes from our relationship with god when we are saying about you know the armor of god and fighting the spiritual battle the topmost thing that we need to remember is we cannot fight this battle on our own we need the strength of god so how does our our strength get built up in god is through our relationship with god so ephesians 6:10 as it says in conclusion be strong in the lord draw your strength from him and be empowered through your union with him and in the power of his boundless might this is amplified version okay i like amplified version because it gives a lot of hidden meaning you know to those verses which are written in the bible which sometimes it's difficult to understand so practically speaking how do we become strong in the lord of course if we see the lives of you know many uh people who were strong in the lord in the bible we can see the examples that they have set as to how we need to be strong in the lord and the first and the foremost thing is always to spend time with god of course every day it has to be our priority you know i know as medical profession people or people in different other professions also i don't mean to say other professions are not busy all of us have busy lives if you are to say no all of us when i was in school i think i was so busy i thought okay once i go to college i'll be relatively free because i used to see these college students you know hanging around doing nothing you know staring the sky you know seeing the stars in the sky as though you know there was no end of time for them but when i came to college i found that it is much more busier than i was in school that i started thinking oh life was so much easier in school the amount i had to study was much more lesser <laughs> then i thought after i joined college i thought okay once i start working you know it's going to be so much more easier once i started working i realized you know the amount of responsibilities and amount of pressures it just increases so there's no end till the time we die there's no end to our business and that's that's a fact that we need to remember but we have to keep priority if we give priority to god other times god will help us to manage seek ye first for the kingdom of god and all these things shall be added unto you sometimes you know the deception of the enemy is he will put in his mind saying in our mind saying you know oh you are so busy you know you need time to relax how can you spend time with god no there is a way even if we are so busy we can always give half an hour to god even if we are so busy even if it's so tiring we can always sleep half an hour late that half an hour is not going to make much of a difference but it's much of a difference in our busyness but it's going to make much of a difference in our strength in the lord so whenever we can you know it's not just morning and night whenever we can i mean we have to keep ourselves disciplined and say morning and night i have to spend time with god and apart from that whenever i can you know there have been times 
when I actually wanted to pray and it was so busy in the ward that I had to run to the bathroom to actually, you know, spend time with God. There is a way. If we ask God to help us, there is a way. Because that was the only place which I could be alone in solidarity with God. Any other place in the ward, I'll be hunted for, you know, to ask for something or the other. Sometimes it, it used to be so, so, so busy when I was doing my post-graduation. But God has a way. If we ask, if only we ask, he will give it to us. So let's keep it our top priority because knowing and realizing that I can do nothing without Christ. And I can do all things only with Christ. So that, that was the first point that spoke to me. You know, I have to make time. I have to be disciplined. Ten minutes, half an hour, doesn't matter. But let's make it a point that before we go in the morning, let's not go to the work without praying or without reading the Bible. Meditation in the word of God and spending time with the Lord in prayer is very, very important for our spiritual strength. Just like for our physical strength, we need food. If we don't take enough food in the day, what happens? Suppose we say, okay, today I don't take morning breakfast, I don't take lunch. What's going to happen? I don't take dinner. I do that for about a week. What's going to happen? I'm, I'm going to actually almost die physically. I'm going to be susceptible to so much amount of infections. Similarly, for our spiritual lives, if I don't spend time and eat the bread which God has given in his word, I'm going to die spiritually. And that is the, the vulnerable point at which the enemy of our soul can attack us. And we will not be armored to fight the battle. The second point to notice, we need to be wearing the armor of God to fight against the schemes of the enemy. The Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on the full armor of God, for his precepts are like the splendid armor of God of a heavily armed soldier, so that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the schemes and the strategies and the deceits of the evil. What are the different components of the armor of God? I'll be coming later. But this is an important point to note in this particular passage that we see. Next thing to understand is, what are the schemes and strategies of the enemy? Sometimes we think, no, the enemy is somebody who will come like a ghost, you know, scare us and, you know, make us run around. But in reality, that doesn't really happen. That's not the way the enemy acts. The Bible is very uh, different in, in, in uh, its description about the enemy. The enemy always comes in subtle forms. Very, very subtle. For example, if you see uh, in the book of Genesis, Adam, Eve, the enemy never came like, you know, a horny beast, you know, trying to scare, you know, life out of them just came as a being which was present there and just whispered. It didn't even shout. It didn't even force. It didn't even, you know, pull Eve and said, come, you have to eat this. No. It was just a subtle thought that the enemy sowed in the mind of Eve. So the schemes, I think we, we need to remember this Throughout the Bible, the scheme of the enemy is always, always in the mind. It'll be half-truth or lies that he speaks into our mind. Very subtly, become like a whisper. Just a whisper. If you see um, Luke 14, 1 to 14, we see the temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness. How does the enemy come there? Does he come like a form, a huge, you know, big thing, you know, trying to dissuade Jesus? No. He comes and says what? He speaks from the scripture, if you see. Right? Luke chapter 14, 1 to 14. Um, he says, come, you know, 
if you just bow down before me and worship me, I'm going to give you this entire world. But Jesus knew the scripture and he says, you know, the words of God says, you shall not bow down before any other God except the Lord God Almighty. Then the second temptation is, uh, isn't it true, you know, that you can do miracles, you know? Just turn the stone into bread. You are hungry, no. You are God. And Jesus says, you will not, uh, the, uh, the word of God says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. The third temptation that, you know, the enemy brings, again, it's a half-truth. He says, isn't it written in the word that, you know, uh, he will give his angels charge over you? So why don't you jump down from this cliff? God the Father will send his angels to save you. But Jesus says it is written in the word that you will not tempt the Lord God. Very sad to say, but I think the church has suffered a lot of lot from the deception because people didn't have the discernment to distinguish what was from God and what was not from God. I have heard of stories in which people have committed suicide when they were fasting and praying, thinking that God is going to come on that day when God didn't come on that day. The second coming of Jesus didn't happen on that day. This was, you know, some particular ex-person saying that, you know, God, he's, he predicts that Jesus is going to come on that day. And then they gather together, you know, pray, pray, you know, in this gathering. On that day, Jesus doesn't come. And they actually commit suicide. Was that from God? No. Because the scripture is very clear. It is written. The date and the time, nobody knows as to when Jesus is coming. So these people believed in the half-lie of the enemy, saying, you know, that so-and-so person, God spoke through that so-and-so person saying that, you know, Jesus is going to come on this day. God will never contradict his word. Whenever, you know, there is something being said, a half-truth or whatever, we should always analyze it, whether it is in the word or not. And something that is contradictory to the word of God is never from God. Never, never, never. The spoken word will never contradict the written word. So that is something which we really, really, really have to be careful about. Because in today's generation, there will be so many people who will come and the enemy can speak half-truths to them. And these, these people may believe the half-truths spoken to them. They get deceived. And then the, the consequence may not be good. So, uh, so the strategy is always half-truth. It speaks to our mind. The enemy speaks to our mind. He speaks to our mind. And if we believe in those half-truths, we go away from God. I'll give you another example in which it's, it's, it happened. I keep quoting this example about two men of God, uh, Charles Templeton and Billy Graham. The enemy came and spoke half-truth to Charles Templeton, saying, in the time of World War, Charles Templeton was a preacher. He was contemporary with Billy Graham, and they were, both of them were preachers. You know, Charles Templeton was also a very enthusiastic preacher for the kingdom of God. Billy Graham, also enthusiastic preacher. So the enemy came and told a half-lie to Charles Templeton, saying, half-truth, saying, if God is really God who is full of compassion and mercy, why is he allowing his people to suffer like this? Because that was the time when Holocaust was happening and the Jews were getting, you know, um, battered like anything, you know, under the Nazi reg regime. 
So, when this question comes to Charles Templeton, then the enemy deceives him saying, if God were truly, you know, a compassionate God, as he says, he should not be allowing this. Maybe there is no God, actually. So Charles Templeton forgets all what he has learned from the word and believes only on this half lie, half truth. And then because of this half truth and because he could not find answers to this half truth, he goes away from the narrow way and he becomes an atheist. Billy Graham asks him why you are doing this and Charles Templeton tells him this. Billy Graham is also faced with the half truth now. How can he answer it? But Billy Graham goes and, you know, spends time with God alone in prayer. And that time he gets reminded of all the faithfulness of God that he had, you know, experienced so far. And, and the truths that were there, you know, in the word of God, which, which he could already see. So since he could see the truth in other matters, he could rely God even in the unseen matters. So in the end, he says, you know, God, I don't understand everything, you know, as to why you would allow such a thing to happen. But one thing I know is God, I can trust you. And he chooses to believe despite uh, the, the kind of questions that the enemy was trying to raise in his mind. So many a times to shake our belief in God, the enemy tries to bring half-truths. Sometimes God may choose to answer. Many a times God may not choose to answer because there is a bigger purpose behind it. If we see the life of Job, that's exactly what I understand. We, when we see from here now, we see the life of Job and what's happening, we understand now what's happening there. But Job does not really understand as to why he has to suffer like that. Everything was going fine. He was living according to the precepts of God. And then suddenly, like a whirlwind, everything goes bad. No, Job loses his family. Job loses his entire fortune that he had you know, collected so far. On top of that, he has got a lot of, you know, skin lesions all over the body. And on top of that, that wife is coming and telling, you know, why, why are you still trusting God? Just curse him and die. Who has left you to be abandoned like this? But beautiful expression of his relationship with God is seen when, you know, Job says, Naked I came, naked I go, but I have not cursed the Lord. Praise be to the name of the Lord. So that's exactly what I mean to say. Billy Graham, Charles Templeton. How to answer that question? You know, God has answers. But the question is, are we still willing to believe despite not having answers to some of the questions that the enemy raises in our mind. Knowing that God is all-knowing and knowing that what we have experienced in him so far from his word has always, always been faithful. So it's like that. I mean, some of the answers to the questions that we have will be answered only in eternity. You know? If, if we got all answers now, where is the challenge of, you know, living life in the narrow way? Christian, when he, he was walking in that narrow way, he did not have answers to all the questions that he had. But as life went by, he started getting the answers. And once he reaches the celestial city, then only, you know, everything becomes, you know, actually, you know, uh, okay for him. So... Um, in our lives also, you know, let's understand the deceptions of the enemy.
it can come in subtle forms especially in the mind let's be wary of it and not believe in the half truths which the enemy uh, points at us the enemy told eve did did god not say i mean if you take this fruit why don't you take this fruit and uh, the eve says no if i take that fruit you know god has forbid me to take that fruit if i take that fruit i'll die and then the enemy says you will not actually die and that was a half truth because what god meant was a spiritual death and what the enemy was saying was a physical death so it was a half truth that the enemy spoke and eve believed in the half truth instead of believing in the creator of the universe who had done so much for her and obeying because eve didn't understand as to why god would prevent her from eating the fruit of that tree did she have an answer to this that question no but ultimately when she believed in the half truth of the enemy i mean we became what we are now and thanks be to god because of jesus christ we are restored in that relationship with god but of course yes the the fruit had a price to pay god never said don't take you know the fruit from the tree of life never but what god says don't that it's the only thing that you know people will start developing questions and you know the enemy starts attacking i really wonder why the enemy never attacked you know on the tree of life probably if the enemy would have attacked on the tree of life and they, have, they would have taken the tree of life that's it that would have been the end of it so the enemy never focused if we see in the bible there's no focus on the tree of life at all in that entire event but probably if eve would have taken that fruit things would have been different who knows the generations would have been in heaven forever and ever but god's i mean god's plans are different his ways are amazing you know beyond imagination and understanding but yeah the deceiver is always there to deceive us third thing important point to note is our fight is not against flesh and blood verse 12 says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood contending only with physical opponents but against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places or supernatural places uh, a practical question to all of us if somebody is being mean to us what is our first response angry yeah is that all exactly you feel like talking about that person you feel like gossiping about that person is that all sometimes we may even give that person a mouthful when the opportunity comes but the bible says our battle is not against flesh and blood somebody is being mean to us somebody is torturing us it is not you know it, it's a, it's it's not them it's not just them being a part of it it is much more than what we see it is the enemy who is instigating thoughts in their mind to do things against us so our battle is far more spiritual than physical um if we see the pilgrims progress again you see you know the apollyon when christian goes off the apollyon says call all the soldiers the enemy also has soldiers and he sends a flock of soldiers to stop christian from continuing in his journey so you know the enemy of our soul has a lot of his soldiers working against us they will see the opportunity okay this person has something against this person 
now I should start instigating this person. You know, let me speak lies into this person's mind. So then whatever we do becomes an irritation for that people, for those people. Why? Because the enemy is instigating their minds, saying, huh, he did this, no? He did this because he wants to show off. He said this or she said this because she wants to put you down. So everything we do after that becomes, you know, something we have against them. When actually we don't have anything against them. So much so that through that the enemy wants to instigate us so that we will retaliate and fight back. And if we retaliate and fight back, we are not obeying the word of God. Because the word of God says if your enemy slaps you on your cheek, what does it say? Show the other cheek. If your enemy is hungry, give food. If your enemy is thirsty, give water. Because when you do that, you will heap coals of fire on his head. So what is expected of us? If we want God to fight the battle, what, we ex what is expected of us is to be in the word and to keep praying. And when we do that, God will fight the battle and change that person. Our ultimate aim is not to punch that person. Our ultimate aim is not to slap that person. Our ultimate aim is the change of heart. The change of heart that we've had when we accepted Jesus as our savior. That needs to come about in that person. And our slapping is not going to change them. Our giving them a mouthful is not going to change them. What is going to change them is a kind heart and you know, a, a helping heart. Despite that person doing so much bad to us, if we do good to that person, through God's help, of course, that is what is going to bring about transformation. Because that person will think, I've been so bad to this person. But this person is doing so much good to me. Why? Then he'll start thinking, oh yeah, maybe what I thought was actually not right. Thought. So the enemy puts in the thought. And when we do good, in accordance to the word of God, that half truth will go out of their minds and they will start believing the truth instead of the lie. And that's why our battle is not flesh and blood. So the different components of the, uh, of the armor of God, first thing I would like to put your focus on is that belt. You see that figure standing there? That's the soldier. And Ephesians 6.14 says, put on the belt of truth. How do we, how do we apply this in our day-to-day -day con context? Truth is always to do with integrity. How we are at our workplace, how we are with our friends, how we are with our spouse, how we are with our family members, do we speak the truth? always. What are the temptations to lie? What are the reasons as to why we lie? Sometimes it may be fear. It may be fear that we may get scolded or reprimanded because of what we have done. Or it may be fear of loss, that we may lose that person, that person will never trust us again. But whatever be our fears, when, when, when God convicts us, it is always better to tell the truth. We should be ready to face the consequences. Sometimes people may be happy about it. Sometimes people may scold us for that, but that doesn't matter. But we need to let it out. Because if we don't let out that truth, it is going to kill us internally. So when we become people who walk in truth, always and speak the truth always, other people will see that this person walks in integrity. 
and automatically there is some respect that builds up inside other people who are seeing us that this person no matter what happens you know speaks the truth sometimes even if he or she is tempted to lie he always comes out with the truth in the end he cannot lie he or she cannot lie so that should be the reputation for us instead of saying so ah that person cannot be relied he or she keeps saying you know something or the other so let's be truthful that puts up a belt of integrity for us it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, i would say you know it lifts up our head you know held high even as we speak the truth not to boast in ourselves of course but because of what god is doing in us we will always be thankful to god uh, that he is you know enabling us to speak the truth second thing is the breastplate of righteousness righteousness is to do with in integrity in terms of the attitude of the heart what is the attitude of a heart we may be speaking the truth always okay fine but what is the attitude of the heart when we do whatever we do for example mm, attitude of the heart would be you know doing everything as unto god and not as unto people <laughs> Suppose I do good to Kranti what is the attitude of my heart is the attitude of my heart so that you know everybody will see and applaud what I am doing or is it because I genuinely want to help Kranti and I genuinely genuinely you know want him to be you know blessed by what I am doing to him if it is so it's something like you know what the right hand does the left hand will not know in the what the left hand will does the right hand will not know so it won't be to show you know to other people so the attitude of the heart is very important every minute we need to ask ourselves that question why am i doing what i am doing is it because i want to impress people or is it because you know i want to genuinely do it and if we feel it is not genuine because we are fallen human beings there's a high possibility we may go through phases in which we are not being genuine if we ever figure that out we should go back to god and say god i'm not being genuine and i'm trying to impress people and that's not who i want to be help me change my heart renew my heart once we believe in jesus the renewal process begins in our hearts by his holy spirit working in us through the word of god to change us our attitudes to be people uh, to to be people who who will be like him even things like for example let it be a very small thing for example sweeping the floor would we sweep the floor very well as well when nobody is watching as when everybody is watching what's the attitude of the heart suppose everybody is here everybody is seeing then you know if i am doing it really really well but nobody is there i leave the corners and say oh nobody is watching it's okay if that is the attitude it is wrong so righteousness doing things as unto the lord and not as unto men third thing is about the shield of faith again i'll give you the same example about billy graham and, and charles templeton similar thoughts but billy graham chose to lift up the shield of faith and say no to the fiery darts of the enemy so the when the enemy comes in our mind we need to lift up the shield of faith and say okay fine i don't understand it but i know who my god is and i just believe that's it i don't want to have answers to all the questions in the world but so far whatever answers i've had is enough to make me believe that my god can be trusted my god can be relied and that my god has died on the cross of calvary for my sins that's it 
So when we develop a stubborn heart in the field of faith, that's when we are lifting up the shield of faith to fight against the fiery darts of the enemy. We choose and we become stubborn to believe in what God has said rather than what the enemy is saying. Other thing is about the uh, helmet of salvation. Ephesians 6.17 Helmet, you know, it's something like, you know, it's, it's a thing to do with, you know, we need to be sure of our salvation. We cannot be double-minded about our salvation. We cannot think, you know, ah, oh, I've been born in a Christian family. Ah, oh, they say that Jesus is Lord. Ah, oh, I think I'll go to heaven, maybe. We cannot have double minds like that. I have accepted Jesus as my Savior and I know that when I die, I'm going to be in heaven. That should be our belief. That should be what we believe in terms of our salvation. And let nothing shake us. The things of this world, the things that are happening, let nothing shake us. Let's be determined to believe in what we have received in Christ. Subtly the enemy will come and try to put thoughts in our mind saying, ah, how can you be so sure? I mean, there are so many descriptions that, you know, people have described in the world. How can you be so sure that, you know, when you die, you are going to be with the Lord in heaven? Why? Because the Spirit itself testifies in our heart about what we have heard and the assurance of salvation is given to us through His Holy Spirit working in us through the Word of God. So if we can rely God on the seen things, as I said earlier. We can rely God even on the unseen things. Unseen things meaning heaven nobody has seen, has seen. What happens after that nobody has seen. But till now, whatever we have experienced of God so far in the seen things, we know that God can be relied and he will never fail us. If that is so, we can believe even in the unseen things that heaven is real God is real and life after death is real. And the fact that when we believe in Jesus as our Savior, the, the penalty for our sins is paid, is real. Then coming to the next one, which is the sandals or the shoes, which, you know, have the gospel of peace. So for us, we need to be ready at any moment of time to tell people about the gift that we have received from God. That sh should not be hidden from anybody. No, because what we have received from Christ when he died on the cross for our sins is the greatest gift and greatest news that we can give to anybody. So let us not shy out from that. May we keep our shoes always ready to, to declare unto all people about the gospel of peace which Jesus has given to us. Second last is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If you see, the only offensive weapon which is given in the armor of God is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the best example of how to use the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to fight against the enemy is shown by Jesus. When he was facing the temptation in the wilderness, as I said in Luke chapter 4. So as he went to wilderness, the enemy again spoke half-truth, told him, you know, turn this into bread and eat it. But Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, it is written, it is written. So our primary uh, focus when we fight the thoughts of the enemy 
should never be you know i don't believe in you enemy go away from me no i think our primary focus should be what does the word say what does the word say and when we focus on the word and we proclaim that word and say it is written the enemy goes away from us the enemy will not go away from us by our you know probably stomping the ground and saying you know go away from me you know don't come near me i i i, I don't know i don't think that, that is how the bible describes about you know fighting you know the spiritual battle but what i find about fighting the spiritual battle this chapter is that using the sword of the spirit as exemplified by jesus we need to use the word of god so just as i said the enemy never comes to us in huge forms trying to you know push us down and fight like a spiritual battle happens yeah fight like a physical battle happens but the enemy will always come in the mind as a thought as a small suggestion and our fighting back needs to be again in the thought from the word of god it is written i don't want to believe in this because it is written that he shall supply all my needs in accordance to what we have sorry in accordance to his riches and glory in christ jesus so sometimes the enemy will come like that no and say you know uh, ah how can you uh, this thing trust just in god you know why don't you try approaching so many people you know so that all your riches and glory can be supplied it is written it is the lord who supplies george muller if you see the life of george muller uh, he's probably he would have had the temptation in his mind you know to proclaim about his orphanage to everybody and say you know we are doing so much you know why don't you help us out but when you see the life of george muller it was always faith and trusting in god and at the right moment the door knocks when they don't have anything on the plates they set out the plates and wait upon the lord and say god we don't have food help us what to do and they are praying suddenly the door knocks and somebody brings a supply of food to them saying when i was praying god put in my heart that i should you know help you with this food that i've brought to you amazing that is i think the kind of faith that god wants us to live with it's a huge temptation you know probably when we don't have anything to tell it out to everybody and say you know i don't have please give me help me but it's another thing to just be silent in those doors of our secret prayer chamber and the word only goes to god and what is spoken in secret god will take it out and do it in the open the word of god says no when you pray let it be that the doors and windows you know be totally closed and pray in secret and what is done in secret you know god will reward in open so that is about the sword of the spirit uh, that is the en- entire armor of god and the last thing that paul says in ephesians chapter 6 uh 18 is uh second slides chapter 6 18 and above all prayer with all prayer and petition pray with specific requests at all times on every occasion and in every season in the spirit and with this in view stay alert with all perseverance and petition interceding in prayer for all god's people so the 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 entire armor of god needs to be enveloped with prayer we have to have the armor of god but if you try to put the armor of god without having you know the covering of prayer you know probably we may not be able to do much 
So in order to have the entire armor of God intact, we need to be praying always, 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 always. Whenever we get time, you know, whenever we need to make time. It cannot be said, you know, we don't have time. We have to make time. Because that is the thing for which we are living in this world. Our jobs is not what is our primary focus. Our, uh, you know, other things in life should not be the primary focus. Primary focus should be God and our relationship with him. And all the other things shall be added on to us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things shall be added. So if, if our relationship with God, if our time with God, prayer, etc. are not going right, we cannot expect other things in life to be okay. Everything else depends on our relationship with God. Because we are pilgrims. We are pilgrims. Our focus is not temporary things. Our focus is eternal. The celestial city is our focus. And on this journey in the narrow way, there will come lots of people to distract us and tell us, go this way, go that way. Some people will point us to giant despair, you know. But if we keep our focus right, put on the whole armor of God and fight the battle of faith through this sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and believe in this word of God, we will reach the celestial city, overcoming the temptations and trials which is set by Apollyon in front of us. So the last thing I would like to put forward to you is a prayer that God would enable us to put the whole armor of God so that we can continue to persevere in the narrow way until we reach our celestial city, our heavenly abode. Amen. Shall we pray? Father God, thank you so much for the armor of God that is displayed in Ephesians chapter 6. Help each one of us individually to understand that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And teach us how to fight our spiritual battle, not like we fight physical battles but with spiritual weapons, Lord. Teach us how to use our spiritual weapons. Thank you, God, in Jesus Christ's name.